Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Boy, what a day. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Harvin here with you. I have been reading the Mueller report or the uh, redacted version of it. I'm sure probably many of you have been as well, plus keeping up with all the various media reports about this. It's an ongoing kind of crazy fest. They, the Department of Justice released a PDF of the Mueller report with redactions that is not searchable. So uh, <laughs> NBC News says that they're trying to convert that into a searchable format that they can release that everybody will then want to play with. I'm guessing other news organizations are doing the same. But basically stuff is trickling in as people are going through this because it just came out a little over an hour ago. And uh, so just to some of these things, uh, Bill Barr, as is his want, as he did in 1992, when he lied about Iraq gate, as William Sapphire repeatedly pointed out, as he did in 1992, when he recommended the pardon of six people involved with Iran-Contra and thus the cover-up of the Reagan administration's attempts to use the hostages in Iran to win the election to beat Jimmy Carter and basically the whole cover-up around that. When Bill Barr did that cover-up, when Bill Barr lied about well, he did the same thing this morning. This guy is a professional cover-up. I've been, I've been telling you this for months. You know, that when Bill Barr was named as the attorney general, I started yelling about this, saying, you know, back in 92, this guy was the guy who ran the cover-up for George W. Bush and um, Ronald Reagan. I mean, you know, he's the guy who recommended the pardons of Ollie North and Elliot Abrams and everybody else. So anyhow, he comes out this morning. He says, oh, there was no collusion. He says it seven times. Well, actually, the report doesn't say that there was no collusion. They, in fact, I'm not even sure they use that word, although it's not a searchable document, so I can't tell you that for sure. But basically, they say because the president wouldn't sit down for an interview and wouldn't answer follow-up questions, you know, there were some things that they couldn't be sure of. They go on to note that, well, here, I'll just read it to you. This is, by the way, from the very same page that Barr quoted from in his initial letter while the investigation identified numerous links between individuals and ties to the Russian government, individuals associated with the Trump campaign, the evidence was not sufficient to support criminal charges. Now, what Barr didn't tell you is why was the evidence not sufficient? Well, he goes on to say the investigation established that several individuals affiliated with the Trump campaign lied to this office and to Congress 
about their intentions with Russia-affiliated individuals and related matters. Those lies materially impaired the investigation of Russian election interference. So, yeah, we couldn't indict because they lied to us. Not only did they lie to us, elsewhere in the report it talks about how there were people using back-channel devices, you know, like the way that uh, Jared Kushner communicates with Mohammed bin Salman, the, the, the dictator of Saudi Arabia, you know, using WhatsApp or using applications that, that uh, don't store anything, in violation, by the way, of the law, the Presidential Records Act. And, uh, you know, so, so we've got that. This is, uh, I think, so far the most shocking thing that I've seen. Uh, Konstantin Kalimnik is a Russian oligarch. He is not part of the Russian government. Kalimnik is not part of the Russian government, but in any case, here's, the, here's a quote. This is from the uh, Mueller report. Manafort briefed Kalimnik on the state of the Trump campaign and Manafort's plan to win the election. So he, he, here's Manafort laying out the entire election strategy for Donald Trump's election to a Russian oligarch. That briefing encompassed the campaign's messaging and its internal polling data. Now we've sort of heard this so far, but then it goes farther. It also included discussion of battleground states, which Manafort identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. And Trump won by a total of what, 82,000 votes in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania? And we know that, you know, foreign actors were penetrating or probing election computers. The people lied to Mueller. They deleted evidence. They used encrypted devices, which is apparently why Mueller says we can't absolutely prove this. Secondly, one of the things that Barr said again in the press conference this morning, and he said before, is that the Mueller investigation chose not to prosecute Trump because there wasn't enough evidence not because he was president. Well, in, in the report, they repeatedly say that you know they, they can't prosecute Trump because he's president. The DOJ says you can't do that. Uh, they can't prove that Trump knew that Flynn was meeting with Kislyak before the swearing because, uh, because again, they've been lied to and there's been obstruction. But there is evidence that Trump knew that Flynn was meeting with Kislyak. This was, you know, Kislyak was the Russian ambassador Russia was under sanctions that had been imposed by Obama. Russia did not react to those sanctions, and the, and the best guess about why they didn't react, this was after Trump was elected and before he was sworn in, the best guess as to why they didn't react is because they were told by somebody in the Trump circle, don't worry, when we, when we get sworn into office on, on January 20th, uh, we're going to take care of it, or January 5th, I guess it is, whatever the date is, uh, we're going to take care of it. And now it turns out, yep, that's exactly what, or apparently, that's exactly what uh, Michael Flynn told Kislyak. Now, did Trump know about that? If, uh, there is evidence that he knew about it and that he approved of it. It's just that they can't quite nail it all down. The report stated, the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that would need to be resolved if we were making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. But they weren't making a traditional prosecutorial judgment because according to the rules that they were operating under, you can't prosecute the president. The report goes on to say, at the same time, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. 
Based on the facts and applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. In other words, if we thought that the, the Trump was innocent, we would say so. And we are explicitly not saying so. Barr comes out and says, oh, we, you know, we came at this regardless of Trump being the president. I'm pretty sure that that's the quote that I heard him say. As Rod Rosenstein was standing there, you know, blinking SOS with his eyes. I mean, you know, he was he, he was either on drugs or he, somebody in the back had a sniper on him and he knew it. I mean, it, it, Rosenstein looked like, well, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe he was terrified. Maybe he was breathless. Maybe he was giddy with excitement. Who knows? And uh, Barr, obviously, this morning lying to the American people about the meaning, the import, the importance, the principal conclusions of this report. In the report, Robert Mueller comes right out and says the Department of Justice guidelines, the, I'm paraphrasing, the Department of Justice guidelines say that we cannot indict a sitting president. So we are not proceeding with basically here's the indictment. But that said, there's all these areas that need to be looked into. He's basically laying out a path for impeachment for the Judiciary Committee. But the special counsel never said that there was no collusion. Bill Barr said that seven times this morning in the press conference this morning. Robert Mueller never said that. One of the things that Mueller did say repeatedly throughout this document is that they were lied to and that evidence was basically buried the evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent represents, presents difficult issues that would need to be resolved if we were making a traditional prosecutorial judgment. At the same time, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, we are unable to reach that judgment. Now, we already sort of knew that while they didn't exonerate him. Well, they go way beyond that now. Several officials associated with the White House continue to lie about Russia matters. Our investigation was materially impaired by this into the investigation of Russian election interference. So when you look at, at this, where there, he's talking about how we were obstructed, and then you also look at the, the multiple places in this document, in the, in the Mueller report, where they talk about, you know, we weren't able to finish basically the the investigation you know we couldn't interview trump why because there wasn't enough time Mueller comes right out and says that it would have taken too much time trump would have fought it it would have gone through the supreme court all this kind of stuff it would have taken and now they did this with nixon nixon fought it all the way to the supreme court and the supreme court ruled against him and to his credit nixon said okay here's the tapes you know trump would have done the same thing and and so Mueller's saying i didn't have enough time now what that causes me to wonder is the previous attorney general, Matthew Whitaker, the acting attorney general, who had said in public that the way to shut down the Mueller investigation was to defund it, to take away the money, to kill the budget, and that the attorney general has the ability to do that. So Whitaker comes in and suddenly Mueller is starting to wrap the investigation up. And then Barr comes in and, and, and Mueller is definitely wrapping the investigation up. And then in the investigation, repeatedly, or in the report, Mueller says, you know, we, just did, we didn't have enough time. Well, if you didn't have enough time, who was defining the time limits? Who was saying you may not continue investigating beyond this point? Now, Mueller is not explicitly laying that out in the report. And Jerry Nadler has said, the, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which is where impeachments need to originate, 
has said that he wants Mueller to come testify to him uh, within the next five weeks, before May 23rd. And we'll see. But that would be my first question. Who shut down this investigation and how? The investigation of Bill Clinton went on for, what, six, seven years? The investigation of, of Hillary Clinton went on for four years? The investigation of Richard Nixon went on for three years? I mean, it was, it was uh, early 72, I think, that the Watergate break-in happened. He resigned in 74, in the summer of 74, if my memory is uh, serving me right. And then the other thing that just caused my jaw to drop was this. This is from page 140 of the, uh, of the Mueller report. Uh, it's about Paul Manafort. He was the campaign manager. We're in the end days of the election. And he's talking with Konstantin Kalimnik, who is this Russian oligarch. Manafort briefed Kalimnik on the state of the Trump campaign and Manafort's plan to win the election. That briefing encompassed the campaign's messaging and its internal polling data. Now, we've, we had heard this before about the polling data, but then it gets mind-boggling. According to Gates, it also included discussion of battleground states, with battleground in quotes, which Manafort identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. So here you have the chairman of the Trump campaign telling a Russian billionaire with close ties to presumably to Russian intelligence and, and or at least to whoever is, you know, messing with this election. Uh, you know, we could use a little help here in Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. What the hell is that all about? By the way, it turns out one of the speculations, one of the things that was asserted to the New York Times by people who worked with Mueller on the investigation, who had since left the Mueller investigation so they could speak to the New York Times on kind of deep background without breaking the law, basically what they said was that we wrote summaries for each one of these sections, and each one of these summaries you guys can use. I mean, you know, this, these, these summaries are things that, you know, when this report gets released, they can just be released to the public, which is what happened today, by the way. Well, this is interesting. McGahn spoke with the president twice and understood the directive the same way both times, making it unlikely he misheard or misinterpreted the president. McGahn decided to quit because he didn't want to participate in, in what would have uh, looked like a Saturday massacre. I mean, you know, this is this is amazing. Several officials associated with the White House continued to lie about Russia matters. Our investigation was materially impaired into Russian election intervention because of these lies, essentially. It's pretty damn breathtaking. Uh, Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. You got some thoughts on this, Jared? How much of this report is redacted and how much of it is actually, you know, that we can see, because I just saw a screenshot, and it just showed the entire page was completely blanked out. I have the entire report. I have printed about a third of it. I mean, we just got it an hour ago, and it's insane that they would release a report like this without it being searchable, but they did. It looks to me like it's not that heavily redacted, but ask me again in an hour. <laughs> We're still going yeah. through it, right? We're still going through it. The amazing thing is that the report says something completely different from what the attorney general said and has been saying for several weeks. What that says to me is that the next step that Jerry Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which is where impeachments, all impeachments have to originate, 
is that it's time to impeach William Barr, the attorney general. And one of the questions that I would like to ask the attorney general in an impeachment hearing is, Mr. Attorney General, before you made your audition, your 19-page audition letter to Donald Trump, or before you met with Trump and told him that you wanted to be his attorney general, did any of the billionaires close to Donald Trump or any corporations close to Donald Trump offer you or suggest or even imply to you that if you did this, if you did this cover-up for Trump, there'd be a multi-million dollar a year job waiting for you once you left? The question in my mind is why would Barr do this? Is it that he was, you know, simply a Trump partisan? This is from uh, page seven of the Mueller report. Uh, they're talking about a guy by the name of Dmitriev, uh, Kirill Dmitriev. He was the chief executive officer of Russia's sovereign wealth fund. Uh, they say he was among the Russians who tried to make contact with the incoming administration in early December. Now, this was after the election. Trump is now president. He hasn't been sworn into office yet. In early December, a business associate steered Dmitriev to Eric Prince, a supporter of the Trump campaign and an associate of senior Trump advisor Steve Bannon. Dmitriev and Prince later met face-to-face -face in January 2017 in the Seychelles and discussed U.S.-Russian relations. During the same period, another business associate introduced Dmitriev to a friend of Jared Kushner, who had not served on the campaign uh, or the transition team. Dmitriev and Kushner's friend collaborated on a short written reconciliation plan for the United States and Russia, which Dmitriev implied had been cleared through Putin. The friend gave that proposal to Kushner before the inauguration, and Kushner later gave copies to Bannon and incoming Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. You know, that may not be as, as, as damning as, as actually as I thought it might be on first read, because you know, Trump basically campaigned on trying to clean up relations with, with Russia. And, and frankly, I think a lot of us think it would be a good thing if the United States could have a good relationship with Russia. But, um, you know, it's, uh, there, are, there are some problems, and some of those problems include the behavior of the Russian government. But in any case, it's, it's, uh, I think the big, the big take-home, in my mind, are, there's a couple of things here that I see as major points. Number one, uh, Mueller repeatedly talking about he was running out of time. Well, who, who put the time limit on the investigation? Number two, Manafort briefing Konstantin Kalimnik that they needed help in battleground states, including, quote, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota, end quote. This is a, a quote from the Mueller report. Uh, and, and that uh, Manafort had given Kalimnik the, uh, the messaging and internal polling data on this thing. It's amazing stuff. Christine in Beaverton, Oregon. Hey, Christine, what's up? Hey, Tom. Nice to talk with you this morning. Thank you. Um, I'm looking at page 392 of the Mueller report. Okay. Uh, I've skimmed through it pretty quickly. And this, to me, is the most damning part of the whole thing that I've skimmed through so far. Uh, and if I can read it out loud. In any sure. event, probing the president's intent in a criminal matter is unquestionably constitutional in at least one context. The offense of bribery turns on the corrupt intent to receive a thing of value in return for being influenced in official action. Hmm. There can be no serious argument against the president's potential criminal liability for bribery offenses, withstanding the need to ascertain his purpose and intent. Um, I think we have to absolutely follow up with his taxes, with uh, the Deutsche Bank accounts, uh, but also something that... Uh, we have not heard a lot of in the news lately, 
um, money that was funneled through the NRA. Um, right. Russia, the NRA officials went to Russia. Um, every most of the Republicans have received millions of dollars from the NRA. Um, President Trump uh, got thirty million dollars through the NRA. Um, how much of that was was being funneled through Russian um, LLCs or whatever way they yeah. funneled that into the NRA? That has to be uh, researched much more in depth. Yeah. I agree. It's and it's a it's a fascinating question, and there's a there's a bunch of fascinating questions. What page did you say that that was on that you were reading? Page three ninety two. Three ninety two. Okay, let me get to that page. Here we go, uh, which is also numbered as page one eighty in the document. Is that correct? Oh, part two of the document. Uh, to say one eighty at the bottom of the page. I'm not sure. These I considerations distinguish the Supreme Court's holding in Nixon v. Fitzgerald. At the very top of the page? Let's see. Yeah, in any event, probing the president's intent in a criminal matter is unquestionably constitutional in at least one context. Wow. There can be no serious argument against his criminal liability for bribery. Right. That's damning right there. Yeah, it really is. Um, Whether we talk about collusion and all the complexities around that, bribery, impeach him for, for, for. um, criminal bribery, get the information from Deutsche Bank, from his tax returns, wherever, and um, start impeachment right away so that... But see, I don't, I don't think that the crime that he was committing that Deutsche Bank would be able to testify to was bribery. I think that was money laundering. Now, you know, maybe well, Mueller yeah, mentions well, money laundering think, in here someplace. In fact, I can search for those, that, that phrase. Yes, I'm sure that will reveal that as well. I have no doubt about that. Yeah. I'm getting uh, hit uh, money laundering on page 70 here. See, this is the thing. You know, it's, it's, it just takes so much time to go through the whole, the whole thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. We'll, we'll continue with this conversation. Christine, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate the call. That was fascinating. Al in Buffalo, New York, watching us on YouTube. Hey, Al, what's on your mind? Oh, my God. There are so many secret messages that WikiLeaks actually sent to Roger Stone, okay? Is he a journalism if he's using Russian hack emails? That's the big question. No. No, he's not. He's not a journalism journalist if he's using uh, a, a... No, a he's, it's, it's perfectly legal, Al, for it, a... It might be perfectly legal, but is it morally right? Yeah, no. sure. It's, no, it's journalism. I mean, if a news agency has access to documents that il- illuminate anything, whether we like it or not, um, I think that they have an obligation to share those things with the public. I, that is journalism. What WikiLeaks did that went beyond journalism, and we were talking about this last week, was reaching out to Don Jr. and timing the release of these, uh, you know, both the Clinton emails and the Podesta emails, timing the release to events happening in the campaign. That's not journalism. That is that is supporting a campaign. That is right, that is so partisan activity. WikiLeaks was engaging in partisan activity. If the if the uh, emails, uh, you know, between Don Jr. and them are to be believed. Right, I agree. But but the whole thing is that the the, the fact that he dumped the emails. You know, that there was a huge dump, and none of, none of the emails showed any wrongdoing by the Clinton administration in those emails. Right. It was right. meant to just uh, give them the... No, it was just hysteria. It was just, it was just churn. It was just chum in the water. Yeah, I got it. Al, thank you. 
Hey, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. One of our sponsors is the X Chair. And I got to tell you, they've got this new thing, Dynamic Variable Lumbar Support. They're called DVL. The X Chair's DVL is really designed to adjust for you. I mean, you know, the average chair, maybe it goes up and down, right? This thing really is totally customizable. Whether you're 5'2 and 110 pounds or 6'4 and 250, the X Chair actually will adapt itself to you. And now with the introduction of the X Basic model, there's an X Chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of the X Chair's new financing option to pay as little as 30 bucks a month to take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. And X Chair is also on sale now for $100 off. So just go to X Chair Tom, T H O M, X Chair Tom.com, X Chair Tom, or call 1 844 4X Chair. Comes with a 30 day no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. And if you use the code X Wheels over at X Chair Tom.com now, you'll also receive a free set of the new X Wheels with your chair. That's X Chair Tom, T H O M, X Chair Tom.com. Another thing in the uh, Mueller report, Trump explicitly asked the intelligence officials to clear him of collusion, essentially, and they refused. That's, you know, it's getting it's getting weird, right? It's getting very weird. <laughs> it is so obvious. I mean, we had this conversation last week about WikiLeaks and Don Jr. and, and all that kind of stuff. When WikiLeaks began dropping Clinton emails and Podesta emails, by the way, none of which suggested that anybody had committed any crime other than putting their thumb on the scale against Bernie, which you could say is a crime, but it's, you know, it's more of a moral crime than a legal crime. And I would say that it was one of the things that badly hurt the Clinton campaign was because it disillusioned so many Bernie supporters, which, you know, clearly was the goal of both Trump and the Russians who were supporting Trump. But if, if, uh, you know, when WikiLeaks started doing that, started colluding with the campaign, I mean, that, that's campaigning. That's beyond journalism. But that's, that's something that we kind of litigated last week. Pam in Chicago. Hey, Pam, what's on your mind? Tom, I'm for impeachment. At this point, I don't care. Trump is the national security risk that we need to, uh, to, to deal with right away. Tom, I just wanted to say with the report, uh, and I want to ask you, being in the field you are, why did we put so much trust in Mueller that he would do the right thing and come to the right, I guess, decision? Because everybody said, wait on the Mueller report. The Democrats said it. Everybody, wait on the Mueller report. When we got the report, Mueller, for me, was derelict in his responsibility to cause obstruction of justice because we all know that's what it was or is. Well, one of the, Pam, if I may, one of the sure. things that I think is a really important point to note is that repeatedly in this document, and I've shared a couple of these uh, excerpts in my opening rant, but repeatedly in this document, Mueller is saying, we couldn't come to this conclusion because we were lied to. We couldn't come to this conclusion because information was withheld from us. We couldn't come to this con- these conclusions because, I- you know, information was being communicated over apps that left no traces and we can't peanut it's out of our reach so you know that raises the question in my mind was Mueller's investigation shut down by Barr keep in mind one of the things that Barr had said actually the guy before him Davidson was the acting attorney general before he became attorney general or acting attorney general he came right out and said 
that as attorney, if he was made the attorney general, he would cut off the funding to Mueller. Yeah. And so he comes in as an acting AG, and then and then you know a few weeks later uh, Barr becomes AG, and Mueller is suddenly wrapping up his investigation. So it looks to me, I mean, over and over and over again in this document, Mueller's saying, we didn't have all the information we needed to be able to draw these conclusions. That says to me that the investigation wasn't over. And that's what the Democratic leadership in their investigation, they should announce. And they should just use plain, simple terms that Trump uh, derailed the investigation, covered it up. And lastly, Tom, let me just ask you this and, and mention this. Tom, um, you know, your character and your integrity, your word, right? It's easy to do those things when you're not putting anything on the line. Trump, when he ran, everyone knew what he was and what he wasn't. And I'm upset that President Obama didn't come out and warn the people about Trump because we because this is an assault on the Constitution in our country. And not only that, you have Republicans yeah. who didn't come out and profess their love. For I, I, I really think they didn't believe that Trump could win. I mean, you know, President Obama on a number of occasions did speak of, of Trump in ways that were, um, uh, <laughs> shall we say, negative. But, you know, yeah, I get your point, Pam. And the thing that shocks me is that Mueller has found out that Manafort explicitly was giving a Russian oligarch saying, focus on Michigan, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one own gold That's one owngold one own gold This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Treason and Betrayal, The Rise and Fall of Individual One by Kenneth Ford McCallion. This is from the prologue. It was a gray, overcast day in Washington on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald J. Trump was sworn in as 45th President of the United States. The weather matched the mood of the majority of Americans who had voted for Hillary Clinton, but whose candidate was denied the election as a result of an anachronistic electoral college system, a lackluster Clinton campaign that had ignored key battleground states such as Michigan and Wisconsin, and of course substantial help from the Russians. But the most significant assault on American democracy did not result from the illegal hacking and cyber attacks by Russian agents on our electoral system and social media. Rather, it came from Donald Trump's full-scale assault on American ideals and values, which had long been this country's most powerful weapon in its arsenal of democracy. In his grim inauguration speech, Trump basically announced the end of American exceptionalism. The hallowed concept and conviction that the United States has a special mission and place in history. 
instead of extolling the virtues of our democracy and calling upon its citizens to raise the torch of liberty in every corner of this country and around the world, Trump took the cynical view that the United States was no better or worse than Russia or any other authoritarian country, and that all our government should be doing is to put America first by concentrating on building our country's economic wealth over all other considerations, and by not worrying about other concerns such as human rights or even democratic rights and freedoms around the world. Trump's denouncement of America's commitment to liberty and justice for all was a frontal attack on the guiding principles forming the bedrock of our democracy and America's faith in itself and in its transcendent mission. The Declaration of Independence had been a clarion call that resonated not only on this continent, but around the world, declaring that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness was the cherished goal of all Americans and freedom-loving people the world over. Now, Trump was seeking to extinguish that fire by declaring that America was no longer the beacon of liberty and that every country, especially Russia, should be permitted to do whatever they wanted in their own country and its own sphere of influence. And that if they dismembered neighboring countries or slaughtered their own people who were fighting for greater civil and human rights, that this was of no importance to the United States. In other words, Trump was articulating precisely what Putin and others in the Kremlin wanted to hear, which is that Trump would give them the green light to rebuild the Russian Empire without fear of opposition or retaliation by the U.S. In doing so, Trump was demonstrating that he was a traitor to the traditional American democratic ideals. The enduring concept of American exceptionalism dates back to French writer Alexis de Tocqueville's reflections on America in his 1835 work, Democracy in America, where he concluded, quote, the position of the Americas is therefore quite exceptional, and it may be believed that no democratic people will ever be placed in a similar one, end quote. Abraham Lincoln echoed this theme of American uniqueness when he noted in his Gettysburg Address in 1863 that one of the things that sets us apart from all of the countries in history is the sacred duty of the United States to ensure that the government of the people, of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from this earth. President Woodrow Wilson exhorted Americans to fulfill the country's destiny to make the world safe for democracy. In his State of the Union address, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt sent a message to its besieged democratic allies around the world, reassuring them that, quote, we Americans are vitally concerned in your defense of freedom. We are putting forth our energies, our resources, and our organizing powers to give you the strength to regain and maintain a free world. This is our purpose and our pledge, end quote. 58 years ago, in his inaugural speech in January 1961, President John F. Kennedy reminded Americans that it was our country's fun fundamental duty to protect human rights at home and around the world. He pledged that Americans would bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure that survival and the success of liberty. Ronald Reagan inspired us with his soaring rhetoric about America being a shining city on the hill, a beacon for freedom, hope, and liberty that was and always will be the model and example for all the world. President Obama in April 2009 publicly acknowledged America's, quote, extraordinary role in leading the world toward peace and prosperity, end quote, while cautioning that such a lofty goal could only be achieved through effective partnerships with other countries. He also often reminded us that America is at its core a good and caring nation that must work tirelessly in the cause of democracy and human rights all around the world. With Trump, this powerful concept of American exceptionalism, which has been enshrined in our nation's psyche for almost 200 years, was declared to be dead and buried. 
or so Donald Trump and his enablers would like us to believe. In the immortal words of Stephen Colbert, Trump, in his easily forgettable inaugural speech, basically compared America to a dumpster fire. America's longstanding mission to preserve and protect the causes of democracy, freedom, and human rights around the world had, according to Trump, virtually devastated the country. Treason and Betrayal is the book. Tom Harmon here with you. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Minnesota were the states that Paul Manafort specifically told a Russian oligarch these are the battleground states. And those are the states in which Donald Trump won by the slimmest of margins because he lost by 3 million votes overall. I mean, are we looking at something even much larger than just social media posts? Morris in Long Beach, California, listening on KPFK. Hey, Morris, what's up? Hey, Professor, forgive me, but uh, this is how you bust the heads of they're mafia kind of thing. Sure. You got to take them down on income tax evasion. Everybody is talking about the same thing. We're not competing against each other. We're trying to take this country back. Income tax evasion. We're taking down Al Capone, baby. How do you take down Al Capone? Income tax evasion. Yeah. Thanks for letting me talk. You're welcome, Morris. And I think that there's a lot of truth to what you're saying, that the Democrats need to, to basically find one impeachable offense, to figure out one or two things that Donald Trump did and drill down on those as deeply as they can. Um, which is what they did with Bill Clinton. They searched through his past, they searched through his present, they went through all this stuff, and ultimately they found that uh, you know Bill Clinton had lied to a grand jury, um, you know, in testimony that ultimately, I mean, you know, Mueller or uh, Trump refused to give this te this kind of testimony. Bill Clinton didn't refuse to give that testimony, and but he lied during it, and that's what took him down. So that you know, a I, I agree with your sentiment that, that they need to find you know one good solid thing. I'm not sure that that one good solid thing is not in this report. In fact, I think that there's multiple things in this report, and uh, you know I, I think this is a, a huge indictment. But the one thing, the one concern I have, Morris, about your suggestion that we could do it all on income taxes, is like okay, this is the thing that's going to save us, right? Income taxes, that's going to save us. Earlier, it was the Mueller report. The Mueller report's going to save us. This is called salvationistic thinking. This is endemic and epidemic in our culture, in large part because of, because of our monotheistic religion, you know, principally Christianity, um, you know, of, hey, there's this savior, right? There's an external force. In, in the case of Christianity, it's Jesus. There's this external force that's going to save us from our evil or from ourselves or whatever. And, you know, the, the simple reality is that if we're sitting around waiting for the Savior, we're not saving ourselves. We're not doing the hard work that we have to do. We're not, we're not doing the investigations. We're not, you know, so, I, you know, just like I was always a little wary of waiting for the Mueller report because, you know, I keep saying, and I've been saying it for two years on this program, Donald Trump has already committed impeachable offenses. Donald Trump has already been uh, charged with a felony in, a, in, a, in, a, in the indictment of Michael Cohen from the, from the Southern District of New York, individual one. He, he, he uh, ordered the commission of a felony, campaign finance fraud, uh, for which Michael Cohen's going to prison. So, I mean, we've already got an impeachable offense. And I think we need to be driving that road. But to sit around and say, oh, we're going to wait until we get the tax returns, or oh, we're going to sit around and wait until Mueller's report comes out, 
You know, I, I've been saying for two years, that's a mistake. As soon as we figured out that he had paid off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, we should have impeached him. That should have been it. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Just to add to the pot, it's going to get real interesting. I'm guessing this is going to happen later today, but it may happen later in the week as things kind of settle out and shake out, is that uh, both Lanny Davis, who is Michael Cohen's current lawyer and used to be affiliated with the Clinton family, interesting history here, Lanny, both Lanny Davis this morning tweeted and Michael Cohen tweeted that Cohen knows what's in a lot of these redacted parts of this report, the Mueller report. And that he, he's going to jail in a week. He's perfectly willing to come out and tell us all what's in him. This is getting real interesting real fast. But again, let me point out to you, this, I, 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 this is the part that I think should be you know, on a billboard in Times Square. Manafort briefed Kalimnik on the state of the Trump campaign and Manafort's plan to win the election. That briefing encompassed the campaign's messaging and its internal polling data. It also included discussion of battleground states, which were explicitly identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. Really? And, you know, in other places, uh, you know, we didn't have time to finish the investigation. Basically, what, you didn't have time? Who put a time limit on it? Was it Matthew Whitaker? Was it Bill Barr? Who put a time limit on the Mueller investigation? Sharice in Polsbow, Washington. Hey, Sharice, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey, Andrew Mitchell mentioned something this morning about Eric Prince meeting with a Russian um, yes. high up. Yeah, this famous and, meeting in the Seychelles. Yeah. Right, right. So that's not what I wanted to call about, but I was just thinking about when you said what you said. But um, for with regards to starting impeachment process right now, what about the thing with uh, Trump bailing out China's electrical, whatever, and then... Um, the, the Chinese government giving $500 million towards Trump's Indonesian hotel thing, and then Ivanka getting 34 patents or trademarks in advance. Right. What about all that stuff that he's doing right now, right out in the open? Yeah, if this I mean, was... Aside from this, all, aside from this Russia stuff and the, and the hotel and the Monuments Clause and all that stuff, what about that stuff? Why don't we just deal with the stuff that's in our face? Yeah. Yeah. If Obama had done any of that kind of stuff, I mean, if Obama had even worked out a book deal before he left the White House, uh, the Republicans would have been crawling all over him, screaming impeachment and, and, you know, criminal activity. There are so many things that we can impeach Donald Trump for. The most obvious is that he's actually been charged with with ordering Michael Cohen to commit a felony, for, a felony, by the way, for which Michael Cohen is about to go to prison in a week. And, right, and, right. and uh, I mean, you know, you want to start an impeachment. And by the way, we don't need to start an impeachment with an impeachment of Donald Trump. Jerry Nadler can start impeachment hearings against, against uh, Bill Barr. And if he were to impeach Bill Barr, now this Article II uh, body, Congress, has shifted into Article Three, the judiciary, Article Three, re the realm. They've become a, a judicial body, which is what an impeachment is, and they have access to grand jury testimony. Sharice, thank You're you. Listening to the Tom Hartman program. Back with more of uh, your thoughts and observations, along with mine, on this whole uh, uh, just absolutely outrageous bar cover-up of the Mueller report.
Welcome back. On the line with us is former Ohio Congressman Bob Ney, the author of Sideswiped. He's a reporter with uh, Talk Media News, talkmedianews.com. This report brought to you by goatsfortheoldgoat.com and loving what you do, Ellen Ratner's new book. Bob, and welcome to the program. You know, what are the things in this report that are making your eyes bug out? The ones that made my eyes bug out, the particular quote that just, you know, really shocked me was Manafort briefed Kalimnik on the state of the Trump campaign and Manafort's plan to win the election. That briefing encompassed the campaign's messaging and its internal polling data. According to Gates, it also included a discussion of battleground states, which Manafort identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. Really? Right. I what does that say to you, Bob? You know, you're a former member of Congress. It means that they have a target. Yeah. They targeted it. Yeah, it sure seems that way. I mean, these are the these are three of these are the three of the four states in which Trump won by, you know, less than 20,000 votes in each one of the states in states that not only had engaged in massive uh, voter purges of hundreds of thousands of voters in every single one of the states, but also you had, you know, in, in Michigan, you had what some 80,000 people who didn't, you know, who 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 voted for everything except, pre- I, you know, it's just it's just. I, I'm wondering if our election systems were compromised. But anyhow, what, what's on your mind today, Bob? I mean, I mean, that is the section. I haven't gotten through all this because I've been on air. But I think that specific area, uh, and, all, and I did start to read through the obstruction of justice issues and the responses, which I don't recall, I don't recall, I don't remember, I don't recall, et cetera, you know, through there. But Barr, I, I think there is an issue on the redaction that if it's pushed, I'm not sure that the Democratic side wins on it. If Mueller, in fact, says, yes, everything was redacted accordingly, then there can be lawsuits, don't get me wrong, Tom, to see, you know, uh, what else is in there, or let at least the chair of the Intel Committee and the ranking member see uh, what's in there. I'm just not sure that um, that is the the best part of this to really... I don't think we need a whole lot more. I mean, you know, Donald Trump, according to uh, McGahn, when Trump was told that the... that, excuse me, that the special prosecutor was, you know, going after the, the, the collusion between uh, his campaign and Russia. Trump was like, I'm effed. You know, he was like, right. that's the end of my presidency. The end of his presidency. And so and that's what I said. You know, it's the, sort of the mechanics of it. A couple of things. One, that's an admission of guilt, isn't it, Bob? Well, I think it's pretty well, in my opinion, it is. When you, when, if you are sitting there, I mean, I've been down this path, and when my whole trials and tribulations started, the, the thing I said is, this is ridiculous, I will fight this. I didn't say, I'm done, oh my goodness, I'm finished, because in my mind, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. If in his mind he was finished, then I would assume that he would think that he had all kinds of legal problems and all kinds of legal issues that were going to be uncovered you know, thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, to, to think that from day one when something's announced like that. Yeah, it's, it, sure. it just screams consciousness of guilt. Right, and, that, and that's why I said, you know, as far as getting hung up on seeing the rest of the redacted material, uh, by the 23rd of May, uh, Mueller has to come in. Chairman Nadler of the Judiciary Committee, Tom, as you know, has said come in. That is the jackpot, in my opinion, right there, because that's the point in time you ask a ton of questions, including, you know, why did you not indict? You couldn't indict because he's the president. Right. I mean, if this starts to lay out there. Well, the other know, question the to me is, you know, in several places in this in this document, Mueller talks about how, you know, uh, pulling Trump in for an interview would have taken too much time. We didn't have enough time right. to follow through on this. Blah, 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 blah. Well, who set the time limit? Was Correct. it was it, it was it Barr? Was it Whitaker? 
I mean, who, you know, we, we know it wasn't Rosenstein. I mean, who set the time limit? And, and, right. and, and Whitaker campaigned for the job of attorney general, which he got acting attorney general for a while, campaigned for that on, on, on saying in public that if he was the attorney general, he'd cut off funding to the Mueller investigation. He becomes attorney general, and suddenly the Mueller investigation starts wrapping up their business. And now they're saying, well, if we just had a little more time, well, who could, you know, so that, that would be my first question. And by the way, Sean tells me that uh, Jerry Nadler has set the hearing for May 2nd, uh, that, 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 uh, where, where Mueller, I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, for oh for Barr. Oh, I, I thought for it was Barr. Mueller. Okay, and then yeah. by May twenty third right. would be Mueller. By is May twenty third is, is Mueller. Okay, uh, got it. There's another question. For example, Tom, what are the non-publicly reported actions by Trump and Barr uh, that they refer to that would constitute obstruction of justice? There, are, there's mention of non-publicly reported actions. What right. are, are they there? Do they exist? Right. You know, and also, you know, did Mueller intend for obstruction of justice to be decided by Congress now? Or is this a matter of the Justice Department? And I don't know why everybody is, is kind of shocked about Barr. Look, Barr entered this day one, I think, at least in trying to analyze this whole uh, thing. He entered day one knowing what he was going to do. Right. Knowing what he was going to do. And, and I can't figure out he's had a career that's been fascinating. Uh, what the, the pool was, unless he was uh, obviously, you know, promised something or feels that the president of the United States would owe him one. Yeah. Well, this would be my first question for Jerry Nadler when he's in, when he's interviewing Barr on May 2nd, which would be, you know, did any of the billionaire buddies of Donald Trump uh, tell you that you had any sort of a job or any sort of a board position or anything that might compensate you very, very, you know, generously. Uh, if you were successful in basically spinning this whole thing in a way that just preserved Trump's presidency so we could get another tax break or whatever. And I think for the campaign purposes, you know, they need to be asked, why did Paul Manafort, he shared polling data with a, a suspected Russian intelligence operative, right? Why did he share the polling data? Well, not just polling data. The, the next sentence says it included discussion of battleground states, which were Manafort right. identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. Right. It's like, and you know what that tells us? Yeah, put a Does bullseye here. Well, sure, of course. Why would you share that? It's coordination. And I also noticed uh, collusion, and then they got into the terms of not using coordination under federal law. Huh. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. We live in an amazing moment here, Bob. <laughs> we yes, really we do. do. Yet to be seen. To Amen. Be out. Yeah, stay tuned to this channel. Bob Nay with Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob. You know, Louise and I just got back from Mexico, and uh, we took a week's vacation uh, with my brother and his family, but it was also a week that I could finish up writing this, this book on voting that I've been working on. And while we were there, uh, my brother-in-law, or my brother and sister-in-law rented a house that we all shared, and it, it, it had, you know, a, a Wi-Fi that was kind of public Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, going to town, there's public Wi-Fi. At the airport, there's public Wi-Fi. Pretty much everywhere I was, I didn't know, you know, whether it was secure or not, but I was not concerned because Louise and I both use ExpressVPN. I have it on my iPhone. I have it on my computer. I, she, Louise has it on her laptop. I have it on my laptop. Uh, she has it on her iPad. Uh, ExpressVPN, it's one click. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing. In fact, when we were in Mexico, uh, if it, you know, it, it would have looked to any website pretty much like we were in the United States because the ExpressVPN uh, apparently was just dropping our data 
and, you know, encrypted from where we were in Mexico right into the United States, you know, into a main pipeline and uh, completely safe, completely secure. Uh, with Ex ExpressVPN, I can surf any Wi-Fi without worrying about my personal data being stolen. And it's less than seven bucks a month. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same protection that Louise and I have. And Ex ExpressVPN has been rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. You can protect your online activity now and get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. This is a product. I love endorsing this product. I actually use it. ExpressVPN is something you should have. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom, T-H-O-M, to learn more. And thanks for supporting our program. This is pretty amazing stuff. This is from the Mueller report, and it's about Senator Richard Burr. On March 9, 2017, Comey briefed the Gang of Eight congressional leaders, and Burr is one of them, about the FBI's investigation of Russian interference, including an identification of the principal U.S. subjects of the investigation. Although it is unclear whether the president knew of that briefing at the time, notes taken by Annie Donaldson, then McGahn's chief of staff, state, quote, POTUS in panic slash chaos. Need binders to put in front of POTUS, all things related to Russia, end quote. The week after Comey's briefing, the White House Counsel's Office was in contact with SSCI Chairman Senator Richard Burr about the Russia investigations and appears to have received information about the status of the FBI investigation. So the FBI is conducting an investigation into the, into the White House, and they brief the Senate as part of you know, oversight. They brief the Gang of Eight, and one of those senators, Richard Burr, leaks that information to Trump himself or to the, to the Trump White House. This is breathtaking. And then, and then we've got this, uh, according to Barr's summary, Michael Cohen tweets out, contrary to Barr's summary, this makes clear that Mueller's team took into account and made their determinations based on the fact that a sitting president can't be indicted. I already made that point. In fact, Mueller makes that point repeatedly. Daniel Dale is tweeting about this. He says, um, oh, this is from the Mueller report. After Flynn withdrew from his defense agreement with Trump, Trump's lawyers left Flynn's lawyer a voicemail demanding a heads up if Flynn was giving Mueller any information that, quote, implicates the president and asking Flynn to remember that Trump had warm feelings for him. Don Jr.'s draft statement about the Tower meeting was more honest, but then after his dad got involved to direct the response, it became a dishonest assertion that the meeting was about adoption. Trump Jr. then added the word primarily to soften his dad's claim. Trump said when he learned that the Mueller investigation was rolling out, he said, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I am effed. And uh, this was right after learning that the special counsel had been appointed. This is according to Don McGahn. I mean, this stuff is coming out. We've got the special counsel did not say that there, that there was no collusion. In fact, you know, there's some specific language about collusion. In the Mueller report, says, as an initial matter, this office evaluated potentially criminal conduct that involved the collective action of multiple individuals, not under the rubric of collusion, but through the lens of conspiracy law. Right? In other words, we're not making any decisions about collusion, collusion. Well, they go on to say, in doing so, the office rec recognized that the word collude appears in the acting attorney general's memorandum 
it has frequently been invoked in public reporting and it is sometimes referenced in antitrust law, but collusion is not a specific offense or theory of liability found in U.S. code, nor is it a term of art in federal criminal law. To the contrary, collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy, and, and they go on from there. But basically, collusion is not, is not a legal term outside of, uh, you know, a subset of antitrust law. And so we're not looking at collusion. Then why did Bill Barr seven times in his little press conference this morning say, oh, no collusion? Why is Trump running around saying no collusion when the Mueller report is specifically saying, you know, we didn't even look at collusion, right? You don't look at something that's not uh, against the law. What we were looking at was criminal conspiracies. They go on to say that the president can be prosecuted. It's largely up to the attorney general. This is from page 180. In the rare cases in which a substantial and credible basis justifies conducting an investigation of the president, the process of examining his motivations to determine whether he acted for a corrupt purpose need not have a chilling effect. Ascertaining the president's motivations would turn on any explanation he provided to justify his actions, the advice he received, the circumstances surrounding the actions, and the regularity or irregularity of the process he employed to make decisions. But grand juries don't have access, automatic access, to confidential presidential communications on these matters. In other words, we, you know, we couldn't get this information. In any case, probing the, the, the president's intent in a criminal matter is unquestionably constitutional. At least one context, the offense of bribery turns on the corrupt intent to receive a thing of value in return for being influenced in, in official action. Now, I wonder if what he's saying here is, you know those Saudis who came and stayed in the president's hotel and dropped hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or people who gave millions of dollars to the Trump inaugural? If Trump gave them some benefit from that, that is bribery. And so, number one, no such thing as no collusion, even though Barr asserted, you know, Barr, Barr has, has just gone all in, right? He's, he's now uh, repeating, he's parroting Donald Trump and his, they were spying on me, you know, wild conspiracy theory. He has said that there was no obstruction, and he implied that Mueller was saying there was no obstruction, when in fact there's obstruction all through this report. Mueller's quite explicit about it. Barr repeatedly said attempts of Russians to collude, attempts of Russians, you know, efforts of Russia. He never, he never came out and actually said that there was actual interference in our elections, which should trouble us all. And by the way, I think this needs to be expanded beyond Russia. I want to know what the Saudis were doing, what the Israelis were doing, what the Chinese were doing. What's the deal here? The evidence... It, this just goes on and on. Several officials associated with the White House continue to lie about Russia matters. Our investigation was materially impaired by these lies, essentially. This shocker. Manafort briefed Kalimnik on the state of the Trump campaign and Manafort's plan to win the election. That briefing encompassed the campaign's messaging and its internal polling data. According to Gates, it also included discussion of battleground states, which Manafort identified as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. What a coincidence. So, you know, your thoughts on all this. Larry in Arp, Texas, it says here you want to argue with me. Really? 
Yeah. Okay. I hope for the next two years you guys keep investigating this. It's only going to make Trump look better. For really? Two years, you guys. It looks yeah, better that he's reaching out to a foreign face. power to get elected? How does that make him look good? For two years, you guys put your faith in Mueller. How does it make now Trump look good that he is reaching out to a foreign power to help himself get elected? How, how does that possibly look good for him, Larry? Because the report shows he did it. No, the, the, the Mueller report shows that not only did he do this, Don Jr. said, I love it, right? Uh, you know, the, the, they, you, know you had, you had uh, Don Jr. talking to WikiLeaks about coordinating the drop of emails that were stolen by Russian intelligence, about coordinating the drop of those with the campaign, with, you know, the, the same day. In fact, this is, this is from the Mueller report, right? On October 7th, 2016, the media released video of candidate Trump speaking in graphic terms about women years earlier, which was considered damaging to his candidacy. Less than an hour later, WikiLeaks made its second release, thousands of Podesta's emails that had been stolen by the GRU in late March 2016. How does that make the president look good? Because just because you say I love it doesn't mean you're taking the evidence. That's not I love it. That's that that is we are we are collaborating with you. Larry, I'm I'm sorry. You know, you you can you can be all, you know, grins and happy about this. We're talking about the corruption of an election for president of the United States. We're talking about a man in the White House who is visibly criminal. Who, who conspired with Michael Cohen, with a Playboy bunny, and with a porn star to suppress their testimony in order to get himself elected. That in and of itself is more than impeachable. That's, that's enough. And the Southern District of New York has already essentially called him out on it. It's part of the, the charging documents against Cohen. Vincent in Amherst, Mass, listening to WHMP. Hey, Vincent, what's up? Well, I, I think if you keep asking the question about what's in it for Barr, I mean, you have to look back to his previous service as attorney general under under Bush. Where he covered senior. up Iran-Contra and Iraq gate. Well, if, if Bush Sr. had won the 92 election, Barr would have been in line perhaps for a Supreme Court appointment or for a, certainly a, a, oh, an upper federal. Oh, so Barr is going to be the guy who gets the next Supreme Court job. Is that what you're yeah, thinking? Yeah, that's, that's my that's my view of things. Well, is he, except he's, he's 68. 68. I mean, they're not going to put him on the Supreme Court. No, well, look, it'd be better to have some, they, they probably will have difficulty with some young radical now, and Barr would be the senior type person who, who, could, who could be allowed to be on the court if a vacancy occurs. And I think that, Amazing. You know, that's what's in it for Barr. Okay, it's, well, that's a, that's a, a good theory. A Vincent, I want to get one more caller in here. Just be, Alan, we got about 20 seconds in Tyler, Texas. You got a quick theory? You bet. Uh, William Barr took the job because his last job was as a lobbyist trying to get the AT&T merger to go through, which has since gone through. Trump opposed it because it was with uh, CNN right. that Trump hates. And, well, the merger went through. So he took the job because he, he didn't have anything else to do? Is that what you're saying, Alan? No, because it finished his lobbying job of uh, getting the merger through. Okay. All right. Interesting. Alan, thank you for the call. Who knows? I, I, I've heard some good theories here today. You know, keep an eye on, on what's going on. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Please get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. 
For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 